So we're just going to start exploring these words. I realize they're important, not just for the individual in front of me, but actually key for us as a, as a family. So I want to explore these words over the coming weeks, try and delve into what Isaiah is trying to say to us. Can you do the slides, bro? It's not loading on here. So the bigger, it's from Isaiah 30 and verse 15, but the, the bigger one that I read before is verse 15 and 16. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we'll ride off on swift horses. There your pursuers will be swift. So Isaiah's writing at this time when almost overnight, uh, a new superpower has come on the horizon called Assyria. And um, they became a very dominant power in the ancient Near East, very powerful, very barbaric, used fear like a weapon. And so the children of Judah, who Isaiah is speaking to, uh, understandably get afraid. They're worried that Assyria is going to attack Jerusalem. And motivated by fear and faithlessness, they decide they're going to rely on Egypt for help. And Isaiah 30 and, and much of this part of Isaiah is Yahweh's response to that, to Judah's response. Because he goes, well, actually, you're after salvation and strength, and you think you're going to find it in Egypt's horses, but actually salvation and strength, according to the Lord, come in repentance and rest and quietness and trust. But they were not really interested in repentance, rest, or quiet, or trust. They were looking for other solutions, which are portrayed here as horses. Judah didn't have horses, but Egypt did. Egypt, of course, another of the superpowers of the day. And they decided if they could get some horses from Egypt, then they could save themselves from the incoming Assyrians. But of course, getting horses from Egypt would mean trusting in Egypt and Egypt's methods for their own security and survival. And Egypt is where they've come from. Egypt is where they've left. Egypt is where they escaped from slavery centuries earlier under Moses. So the, what, the picture that's going on is that the people are scared. They're looking for an answer. They don't know what to do. And they think, I know we'll go to a different superpower because they've got something that can match this other superpower that's coming against us. But actually, they're really walking back into the orbit of the nation that enslaved them. Which is why the Bible is such a brilliant book, because when you get under the layers of it and see what's going on, you see how incredibly relevant it is right now, because it may not be a superpower on the horizon that are going to invade our city, but there are things on our horizons that are concerning. There are things in front of us that are worrying. Uh, at various times, we feel threatened and anxious by things that are on our horizons or things that feel like they are galloping over the horizon, perhaps. And just like the people of Judah, we can be quite tempted to look at solutions around us that seem helpful and may even work for others around us. But if we're not careful, those solutions can lead us back into places that enslave us. Okay, it's cold, bro. I'm all right. So my question to this morning is this. What are you worried and anxious about? What threat are you seeing on your horizon? For the people 2,700 years ago, it was an Assyrian army coming to plunder and destroy everything they held dear. But the words are the same for us. What threat are you seeing on your horizon? And perhaps an even more pertinent question, what horses are you considering fleeing on? In other words, what answer are you thinking might be the answer? And how does that line up with 
Isaiah's words. Because the answer to any threat or source of anxiety is just the same now as it was then. The answer is repentance and rest and quietness and trust. But as I said at the beginning, they are not, you won't find them if you Google what to do in anxiety. You won't find that repentance and rest and quietness and trust, you might find them alluded to because our world's managed to find some things about them in terms of mindfulness and that sort of stuff. But it's not really vogue, is it? It's not really in fashion. And according to Isaiah, repentance and rest lead to salvation and quietness and trust lead to strength. But we've got to ask what Isaiah means by salvation and strength. What does it mean? What is, what is salvation? What is strength? Strength's for another day, but today I just want to explore salvation because if you don't know what you're aiming for, you're never, never going to go, never, never going to know when you get there. Yeah, that's it. Salvation is one of those Christian words that can lose its meaning if we're not careful. And of course, we often understand it in the sense of accepting for the first time that we are accepted by Jesus. And of course, that is a moment of salvation. A time when we come to a new place of freedom and understanding. A moment in time when we accept his love and compassion towards us and start a journey of understanding what it means to be loved unconditionally and what it means to be accepted as we are. But we also understand that's not the end of salvation. We understand that's the beginning. And actually, if you read the New Testament, you find that it speaks of salvation as past, present, and future. So you have been saved, as in Jesus has done everything he needs to do. You have been saved, as in you have been made more like him. And you will be saved, as in at some point you'll experience the fullness of that when you go to be with him. But I want to explore this morning this idea of present salvation. What does it mean for you this week, this month? What does it mean for you to experience salvation? What does that actually mean? And what can repentance and rest actually lead to? What does it mean for him to save us today? Because of course we all want to be saved and delivered out of that which is painful and difficult. That's just the cry of being human. We wouldn't be human if we didn't cry out in such ways, if we didn't want to see things change, see things differently, and preferably see God sort it all out whilst we sit back and watch him get on and do his thing. That would, I think, be true of most of us. We don't enjoy pain, suffering, struggle, and there is something in us that we are always looking for a way out of it, and that's called being a human being. That's okay. That's fine. You were not created, after all, for pain, suffering, or struggle. That was not what you were created for. You were created to live in perfection with Jesus and with each other. So within every human being, there is a desire to escape pain and suffering. Within each of us, a desire to run away. And that's why you see, oh, if we can't run away, then we'll try and mask it. Which is why lots of us do all sorts of things to try and just forget about things for a little while. And that can be in things like drinking five bottles of wine, or it can be in watching garbage on TV for three hours. Or it can be reading a novel, or it can be cleaning, or it can be going shopping, or it can be injecting heroin. Really, they're all doing the same thing most of the time. It's escaping from the reality and the things that are there. But we have this desire to escape it. And this cry also reveals another side of our humanity. A desire for somebody else to sort it out. I think there is 
in, in, in all of us this desire that we'd like things changed, we'd like things to be different, but if somebody else could do the hard work, that would be wonderful as well. If we could just sit back and somebody else would come in, fix this, fix that, fix the other, that would be just wonderfully well. And this cry of God to do something echoes throughout the pages of the Bible. And David cries out, and in Psalm 34 he writes this, this poor man cried out. Okay, so first of all, it's all right to cry out. It's all right to cry out, because David did it. Many, many times throughout the Psalms, he cries out. So it's okay to cry out. It's okay to go, I am crying out to you, God, because I want something to change. There's something going on here, and it's difficult, and it's painful, and it's challenging. And according to David, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And later on in the same Psalm, he says, the righteous cry out. Well, that could be him as well. And the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So it's all right to cry out. And according to this psalm and many places elsewhere in Scripture, God hears and saves out of troubles. The question is, what does it mean to be saved out of your troubles? What does that actually mean, to be saved out of your troubles? Because if I, if I were to ask what were troubling you right now, I would imagine all of you could give me a list of situations, situations of people that you were concerned about. I could. But I would imagine that a lot of those lists of troubles would be things to do with external situations. They would be to do with so-and-so getting a job. They'd be to do with so-and-so getting a place in nursery. They'd be to do with uh, this relationship being sorted out, that relationship being sorted out, this illness stopping. They'd be to do with all these sorts of things. And again, this is part of being human. It's a normal response. We are programmed, wired to want that. But what's interesting is that in Psalm 34, that's not what David talks about. And it's not what Jesus talks about. Because in Psalm 34, the Hebrew for saved is yasha, which means to be open, wired, or free. And the Hebrew for troubles is the word sarah, means tightness. So David's troubles... It's this sense that there's, some, that there's a tightness going on. There's a sense of like being uptight. And he says that when the Lord saved him, it means he came into this open, wide, free place out of the tightness of his troubles. So what does it mean to be saved from all our troubles? Well, it means we, to be open, wide, and free. Perhaps despite the tightness that surrounds us. Perhaps being saved from trouble means that even when the press comes, even when there is a sense of being constricted, we can be open, wide, and free. Not because anything externally has necessarily changed, but because internally we know what it is to walk with Jesus. And you see this even in, this is fascinating to me, you see it even in the birth of Jesus. Joseph, son of David, these are the angel's words to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay. You all know those words, I'm sure. But what's interesting is if you read the Old Testament prophecies, a lot of the prophecies seem to be about sorting out the oppression that was going on in the day. And of course, the people of God have been oppressed all through history. Starts with Egypt, and then the Assyrians come in, and the Babylonians come in. And then you get to Jesus' time, and the Romans are there. So that there are always the people who are under oppression. And by Jesus' time, Roman oppression is pretty bleak. 
yes, they get to worship, but actually there's not a lot of freedom. They are taxed to the hilt, and they do not have lots of things that they'd like to have. And when Jesus arrived, these people needed deliverance. They were very clearly an oppressed people group, but Jesus said very little about delivering them from Roman occupation and oppression. In fact, in Luke 13, a group of people come to tell Jesus about Pilate killing fellow Jews while they offered sacrifices in the temple. So there's some Jews who have come on pilgrimage, and they're in the temple, and they're offering sacrifices, and Pilate kills them, or they get killed. Something goes on, they all get killed. So this group come to Jesus and go, Jesus, this is terrible. Like, there are, there are our people in our temple offering sacrifices to our God, and Pilate's killing them. What do you say to that? What could be worse, after all, than a group being murdered by foreign troops at the most sacred moment in the most sacred space of their religious journey? Surely Jesus would want to take the opportunity to condemn Pilate and let them know that one day the Lord would kick the oppressive Romans out. Do you know what he says? You finish off by these words. Unless you repent, you will also perish. He says nothing. Nothing. Unless you repent, you will also perish. He does nothing to give hope that one day it will end, and he does nothing to condemn the violence of Rome. Instead, he points them towards their own hearts. In other words, there's something much more important, much more vital. For Jesus, he's going, look, there's something much more important than worrying about these Roman soldiers killing people. There's something even more important than that, and that's the state of your own heart. Now, Please keep listening and keep hearing me, okay? But he seems to suggest that the state of their hearts is more important. After all, what does Matthew say? He will save his people from the oppression of the Roman army? No. He says nothing about that. He says he'll save them from their sins. And yet, lots and lots of people still believe the Messiah was going to do that. In fact, if you read history, from about 100 BC to 100 AD, there were many attempts to rise up and revolt against the Romans, all led by various Jews. They all got crushed and killed and crucified. There was no promise that Jesus would save his people from their current oppression. And when given the opportunity to agree that it needs dealing with, he turns around and once again affirms why he came. Our heart is more important to Jesus than our outward oppression. Now, let me say this and read the word in capital letters. Our freedom from oppression and suffering is not his primary concern. Not his primary concern. I don't say it's not his concern, but I say he's not his primary concern. Because you've got this idea, even in David, back in the Old Testament, and, and the word in Isaiah as well for salvation, it's the same word, open, wide, free. It's this sense of, okay, there's a freedom coming, there's an openness coming, there's an ability to be wide and open, even in what's going on. It talks of spaciousness where there's one's constraint. Uh, freedom from oppression, it seems to me, and pain wasn't Jesus' primary concern. If it was, he would have raised an army and destroyed the Roman Empire, and he didn't. In fact, he was executed by a Roman execution device. So this idea that Jesus is going to crush all opposition to us and make the way smooth is a bit of a nonsense. Because he didn't do that, and he never said he would do it. He gets more encouraging than a bit, I promise you.
Because, of course, the reality is, while we're on this earth, we're not going to escape it. This is not Eden, in case you haven't already noticed. So, yeah, okay, today you might have money in the bank. Fantastic. Tomorrow you might not. Today you might be in the goodness of health. Tomorrow you might not. Today you might be in a beautiful relationship. Tomorrow you might not. Because today you might also be in ill health and tomorrow you might be completely healed. Today you might be completely skinned. Tomorrow you might be a millionaire. Today you might be struggling with massive ill health. Tomorrow you might be completely healed. But it does work both ways. It does work both ways. This is life. Life is difficult, oppressive, tough, and doesn't make sense most of the time. But Jesus never promised any of those things anyway. In fact, he said this. Everything I've taught you is so the peace which is in me will be in you. And will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrow, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. I'd love to know what prosperity teachers do with that scripture, but anyways. And I do believe in prosperity, by the way. But John says, I pray you prosper in everything as your soul prospers. There's an order to do it. As your soul prospers, as your internal life prospers, I pray you prosper in every way, but it starts. It starts in your heart. It starts internally. What is primarily an offer is not the removal of every challenging situation, but the opportunity to live through those situations without the anxiety and worry that we carry. The ability to be governed not by our past, but by our acceptance of his acceptance now. You see, and I know I've talked about this before, but most of us do live, how many of you, and you, it must be all of you because it's me, go, well, if we can just get through this and then I can breathe and then it'll be all right. And how many of you know that before you've even taken half a breath, something else happens? Because, of course, the solving of every problem just produces another problem to be solved. That's what we know. And again, this is, for some of us, this is what we mean when we talk about facing reality. This is just reality. It's just reality. But the beauty about reality is sometimes when we live in unreality and we think life shouldn't be hard and life should be easy, you just set yourself up for more pain. You just, it's just more difficult. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. The only solution is to come to a place where the peace which is in Jesus in is us. And we experience great confidence as we rest in Jesus. Because here's the other thing as well. This is what I've noticed this last two or three years. The more you go on with him and the more you allow him to grow in you and the more you become a little bit more like him and the more you find peace and rest, what happens is he goes, oh, great, fantastic. Now I can send you here. Now I can send you into this situation, which is more challenging than the ones you've done before. So you think you're doing really well, and you think, all right, I'm, I'm coping with what I've got now. And then he goes, right, now you're ready to go here then. I'm like, well, okay, that, all right. But hey, 
What cult do we start, aren't we? We're meant to be going into more challenging situations. We're meant to be growing so that we can go into difficult situations and teach kids in the most disadvantaged places in our city and give them some hope. We're meant to be doing that. Of course, it's tough. It's really tough. But hey, we're meant to be bringing life because we're just ordinary people, aren't we, Phil? Bringing life. So, so you see, even if you are fully on this kingdom walk and you're fully given over, it's always going to get challenging because God's going to use you more and more. And the more filled you are, and the more confident you are, and the more secure you are, and the more you know him, and the more peace you carry, well, the more peace you carry, you're just going to take it into more unpeaceful situations. But hey, we're called to restore, aren't we? We're called to take what we've got, pass it along. That's why we've got to keep filling ourselves up, keep growing, keep learning. The only solution then is to come to a place where the peace which is in Jesus is in us. And as he says, we experience great confidence as we rest in him. Or to put it as Isaiah did, in repentance and rest is your salvation. And of course, recently I've been clarifying, redefining even what we mean by repentance. And it's important we do, because if we don't understand what repentance and rest really are, we can't enter the fullness of that salvation. And we're going to keep exploring these words and what they mean as we've been doing for, well, years. <laughs> but I think there's still more to grasp. There's still more. There's still greater depths. I, lo- I loved what Ellie just sang prophetically there. It was beautiful. Did you hear her? He's creating deeper roots in us. That was, that was a word that was past, present, and future. It was, it was what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Was, it was absolutely beautiful as to what's going on right now. Okay. Because here's the thing. You cannot control what is going to go on tomorrow. You have no idea what is going to hit the fan tomorrow. And we like to think it'll all be wonderful. And hopefully it will. And I pray it will. But we're not in Eden. So some of it won't. And you can't control much of that. What you can control is what's in here. What you can control is how you respond to it. What you can control is how you're going to walk through it. And what you can control is how you are going to be in it. This is what it means to live the kingdom life. This is what the kingdom is really all about. It's about working on your internal life, controlling the tightness on the inside of you so that no matter what situation you find yourself in, on the inside you are open, wide, and free. So that you come to a place like those sons of Issachar who knew the times and seasons and knew what to do. And that is you more and more, church. That is all of you more and more. It is, it's all of you more and more. And don't, listen, the only, the only person you've got to compare yourself with is you last year. Nobody else. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. Stop, okay, yeah, I'm me and you're you. And that's beautiful and wonderful. Okay. Am I more aware than I was last year? Am, am I able to see a little bit more clearly? Okay. Well, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, isn't it? And just think, you know, I know. There's not tons of us, is there? And there probably never will be tons of us. In fact, I don't really want there to be tons of us because... I really don't. 
just, just the ones he wants to send us. But you forget the influence we all have. You forget how many people we influence as a body. You forget how wide it goes. Ne never look around this room and think there's just a few of us. It's not true. We've got enough to do what he's called us to do. You see, what sets the kingdom apart, what makes it unique, is that we can have our internal needs met. So no matter what external challenge suddenly appears, because it will, we don't need to be quite as tight on the inside of us. Even in the midst of those troubles and challenges, it's possible to be wide open and free. But in order to enjoy that more and more, we've got to learn to live even more in this place. And knowing that repentance and rest is our salvation and quietness and trust is our strength. Repentance and rest. And repentance, remember, finding yourself in the arms of the Father. That's what repentance really is. And then it's about saying sorry and turning around and all that. But first and foremost, it's about finding yourself wrapped up in the arms of Father. And it's about learning to rest. Because that is where you find the openness, wideness, and free. And again, we're going to keep talking about it because, yeah, there's still some more to share about rest. He says, hoping he's going to tell me what I'm going to share because I don't quite know yet. But there's, there's something like just a little bit deeper about it. And then we've got to learn what it means to be quiet, which doesn't mean not speaking. It's a quietness in heart, a quietness before him. We've got to learn what trust really is. And in that we'll be strong. Because it's more than possible that you can be open, wide and free and strong in everything you're doing. Even when you're looking after three kids while your wife's away. Even when you're in a classroom with 30 kids who have not had any breakfast and don't really want to be there. and in all the other things you wonderful people do. And I tell you, I tell you, it won't be long until you stand out like a sore thumb. You already do, you know that? You know that where, it, where you're already at in this, you already stand out. Because this stuff definitely ain't in the world. And I don't hear it a right lot anywhere. So you already stand out. Stop beating yourself up because you're not where you want to be. Ban the word should and just thank him for where you are. Just thank him that he's got you. And lean back in his arms. Amen? Okay, let's just pray before we finish. Father, Father, I want to thank you I want to thank you for our family, just as we started off doing with, with Phil, Father. Thank you for our family, those of us who are in this room, those who are not here, those who are watching online around the world, wherever they are, Lord, that, that are part of our family. Father, I thank you 
that they are all sons of Issachar because increasingly they can discern the times and increasingly they know what to do. And Lord, I want to thank you for that increase. I want to thank you for that movement towards understanding where things are at and being able to speak a word of life and truth, Lord. And I want to thank you for the movement that we've had and the place we've come to, Lord. But we say, Lord, we want to keep moving, Lord. We want to keep moving forward. We want to see clearer, clearer what's going on. We want to see clearer into people's lives. We want to see clearer into our own lives. We want to see clearer into what's going on around us. And we want to know what to do, Father. We want to know what to speak, what to say. We want to know when to speak and when to be silent. When to sit and when to move. When to act and when to wait. We are asking, Father, that more and more and more we would experience your salvation in repentance and rest and know your strength in quietness and trust. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, bless you. Thank you for being with us.